I've got the most exciting announcement. I have a new sponsor for my podcast, Creating a Buzz About Health, and I'm delighted to be collaborating with Unbelievable Health. Unbelievable Health produce the most incredible health products. And to celebrate this new collaboration, we're offering an amazing hamper with a wide selection of the Unbelievable Health products, as well as a year's supply of honey. So some of my favorite honeys from around the world, you're going to be able to have a hamper full of these. All you've got to do is listen to my podcast, choose your favorite episode and write a review on the platform that you listen to this in. Take a screenshot of your review where you say which is your favorite episode and why. Send me the screenshot. Send it to b at paulacarnell.com. So that's b b e e at paulacarnell.com. And you will be entered into the grand draw where you will be pulled out to win a hamper. So we've got one amazing huge hamper and I'm sure we'll come up with some good other prizes too. So all you've got to do is just listen to the podcast, find your favorite episode, tell us why and which one is your favorite. Take a screenshot of your review and email it to us to be at paulacarnell.com. And then you've got a chance to win this incredible hamper. I'm delighted to be collaborating with Unbelievable Health. They do incredible supplements and it couldn't be better all round. So wishing you a healthy 2024 and thank you very much for listening. You have to become yourself. Welcome Open to Creating a Buzz About Open Health podcast with Paula Carnell. This episode was sponsored by Unbelievable Health, the producers of these incredible health supplements using the products from the hive, the wonderful health benefits of propolis. If you want to grab some of your own supplements for immunity, for energy, for anxiety and for sleep, then go along to unbelievablehealth.co.uk and put in the code PaulaBuzz25 for a 25% discount. Isn't that amazing? So that's Paula Buzz, all in capital letters, two Zs, 25. So P-A-U-L-A-B-U-Z-Z, 25 for a 25% discount. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Hello. Welcome to this episode that I am so, so excited about. I am joined today all the way from America with um, Katie Flynn. And she met one of my my fellow beekeepers, Kerry, a long time ago, about a year ago. Um, they both trained together in the honey sensory analysis in Bologna. And then I got to meet Kerry, where, um, meet Katie with Kerry when we were all there for level three. But we're not going to talk about that today. What we're going to talk about is Katie's really exciting and inspiring journey through life that's ended up with bees and how bees have helped healer. So I'm not going to spoil, although I think the title will probably give a bit of it away, but we are going to talk a bit about PTSD. Um, so Katie, go, just tell us how, what is your story? How did you end up where you are now? What was the beginning? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to give a little backdrop. Um, 
I spent 18 years in the United States Air Force. Um, I was security forces. I joined right after 9-11. Um, 9-11 happened and I felt it was my duty to be a part of, you know, reconciliation of that. Um, so I did. I joined the military. I actually went out to this base and saw these F-16s taking off from the ramp and got this, this complete euphoria of, oh my goodness, like this, this is a crazy machine that I'm going to be a part of. So I joined, um, two, did tours of duty over in the Middle East. Um, we, we went all over the country. And um, being security forces as a female, it was, I knew that it was going to be um, difficult, but I really wanted to take on um, that challenge. So I did. And my identity through that was really military was first. Um, you know, I have a multitude of children um, and they also kind of knew that, you know, mom's military first and she's a mom second. Um, so, so you really, oh, sorry. So you had yes, children before I have, you were in the military. I had children while in the military. Okay. Um, so it was very difficult because the military will tell you we didn't issue you a family. Um, so it was very much known that, you know, um, having those kiddos, they would take the second seat. Um, and it was, it was difficult. They definitely sacrificed um, a lot because both myself and my husband are military. So it would be, I would be gone. He would be home. He'd be home. I would be gone. So there's a lot of sacrifice in that. Um, and really, I didn't understand that fully until I was out. Um, and I, my last day of service uh, ceremony was February 4th, 2020. I know that dates so insanely well um, because that very next day, I didn't have to put on my fatigues. I didn't have to blouse my boots. Um, and that is when I was introduced to my PTSD. Um, I was diagnosed towards the end of my career. You know, you have to do the exit uh, medical things to get out. And I was, I was told that, yes, you do have PTSD and you have high functioning anxiety. Um, I didn't fully believe that until it actually hit me in the face on February 5th. Um, it, it was hard. I actually named my PTSD Sally. A little song go, goes with Sally um, because she provides a lot of ups and downs. Um, but that day I was hit in the face with like this, this intense dark rage machine, um, completely um, intolerable of anything. I was having anxiety attacks every morning at 3 a.m. And it was within the week of lockdown for COVID. So I was being hit with all of this and then really nowhere to go. Um, and at that time we lived in town, so I couldn't even let go of my backyard and scream because I would have looked like an absolute manic maniac. Um, so this is where it got very dark and it got very deep and very raw. And my kids kind of, you know, they saw a side of mom that I never really wanted them to see. Um, but it also opens up the story of healing and feeling and, and what happens. Um, what I didn't realize in the military side was my cortisol levels were so intently high for that last 10 or so years of the military that um, I had no way 
to fluctuate and function without those cortisol levels being so high. So it really did come in like a crash. Wow. Because we don't, you know, we hear about PTSD and I've got um, members of my family who are in the military. My son is, my husband was was Royal Navy. Um, and then through beekeeping, I've met um, people who've suffered with PTSD. And when I was growing up, I did meet people who'd come back from the Falklands War and they were, you know, sort of five, 10 years older than me. But that was a real shock. But then PTSD wasn't acknowledged. It was just people came back crazy and no one could quite. It was just brushed under the carpet. So it's interesting that they diagnosed you with PTSD on your exit medical. But you had no idea then. You didn't think you had it. I didn't. Um, and, you know, being in the military, you you couldn't talk about feelings. You couldn't talk about stressors. You embraced the suck and you adapted and you overcame. And mm -hmm. so, you know, really it was just talking about my symptoms to a therapist. And she, I, I remember her distinct look at me and she's like, oh, honey. I said, oh, honey, what? You know, because I was a security forces female. I had to be strong. Mm -hmm. She's like, you, you don't have a clue as to what's to come. And, oh. um, I, yeah. And I was like, what, I don't know what she's talking about. Um, and so I did, I had my first therapy session and it was, it was the only time in my life that I felt uncomfortable to be in my own skin and had that potential, um, not wanting to exist. Mm -hmm. And um, my husband, you know, he we did the same career field and he, you know, it's amazing to see how he, you know, didn't have the same effects that I did, but was an amazing support piece and understanding, you know, kind of what was going on. Um, but the best part, I think, is the first therapy session I had, it was suggested, you know, I want you to be on these different medications. And I said, I really my kids sacrificed so much while I was in the military. I really would prefer to feel this out. I'd really mm -hmm. prefer to do a more holistic approach and the military, you know, VA system at that time, there really wasn't a lot of options. So I personally had to start doing some research and I knew, I knew at the end of my career, actually it's about, I say, end the last 10 years of my career, um, that I wanted to do something with bees. I tasted so many honeys on all of my explorations with the Air Force um, that I really wanted to do that, but I had no clue how it was going to adversely in an amazing way affect my life. Mm. Wow. Wow. Yes. So it's interesting yes. that your husband had the same career, but didn't mm. exhibit the PTSD. So do you think this is a male female thing with military or do you think it was just unique to you you know personality rather than sex i think i think it's a combination um you know growing up in the genre of people that i did in the military you didn't talk about this and i still see that um you know it's something that you just you're almost looked as as weaker if if you talk about it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where, you know, I did, I put off talking about it, honestly, up until this year uh, was mm -hmm. when I first started talking about it because it, it, it was so innately put in you 
that you don't talk about feelings. Um, and I think now opening it up and, and saying this, this is, you know, how we can heal from this. It has brought in so many other people that have felt the same thing, that same rage, that same anxiety, and then opening up that conversation for them to start their healing process of talking about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's interesting watching my husband now. He's like, you know, I, I can talk about this, this aspect now. Watching you talk about it and talk about it. So I think it's really just opening up the conversation um, because, you know, all those veterans from all those wars, you know, a lot of them experience the same things uh, within their units. And once you have that conversation and if they know that you're a safe place to talk to about it, we can Mm -hmm. relate with the same acronyms. We can relate with the same experiences. And I've noticed, you know, even at our farmer's markets, we have a big sign that says homegrown by heroes. So they know immediately we're veteran owned. And I have so many conversations of their tours of duty in my market space because they feel like it's a safe place to talk. Mm. Because Mm -hmm. having, you know, I've not fought in a war. I've not been in the military. I could never be told what to do, you know, at school, let alone, you know, in any kind of military environment. Um, And, I mean, seeing my son go through his training, I... And and also with friends in the military, there is this dark humor, isn't there? So wow. when something traumatic happens, a lot of the coping mechanism is to make light of it, to joke about it. And does that help in the time, but then cause a problem later? I mean, obviously, if you're in the middle of a battle situation and your mate's been, you know, blown up, you can't right. all just collapse and into tears. You know, you have got to carry on. But what I'm interested in is, is it specific events or is it this constant level of stress and ready? You know, your training is preparing you for a crisis. So whether you're in a crisis or not, you are geared up, ready to go. You're wound up for that. Mm-hmm. What aspects of, of PTSD do you think are misunderstood? You know, are we thinking, oh, you didn't actually go into that war or you were just in military mm-hmm. or you know, or that war wasn't as bad as this war or, you know, what your role or whatever, you know, how, what do you think people who are non-military could help by knowing to help understand what PTSD is? Yeah. And I think military side, you, you have those constant cortisol levels because you do have to be at the ready at all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's a lot more study that needs to go into those stress levels Um, because when you're in that stress level for so long, that becomes the new norm for your body. Mm. I think also, I just read this study on sourdough. Of course we do bees. So we do sourdough at our house. It's, it's kind of, it's, it's out of control, but (laughs) they took this, it is, they took this, the same sourdough starter and they sent it across the world to eight different chefs eight different pastry chefs. They had the exact same recipe, the exact same ingredients, and they brought it all back. And every one of those sourdoughs had different DNA. Why? Because we, we have similar characteristics as humans, but we all have different DNA. We all have different makeups of our soul and we all take in things very different. Mm -hmm. And so Uh, minimizing that piece where everybody's different 
and giving the same treatment to those people, they're all going to react maybe in a different way. And that's where, you know, it's so paramount for me that I need to naturally feel what this is and to get through this in a specific way that's, that's healthy for me. Um, Cause I'm not saying that medication is bad. Medication works for a lot of people. I knew for me, I needed to be in the moment, in the rawness and figure out a way to cope with this um, because there's still studies showing that PTSD may never go away once your brain is rewired in that fashion, but we can make ways to ease it and heal it and make it better. Mm. So how did you make space to feel it with your children? I mean, how, what age were they in 2020 and how many did you have then in 2020? Yes. So we have six kiddos all together. Um, my youngest was actually one, <gasps> one years old. Yeah. At that time. So one, it was like one, three, um, seven, nine, and then uh, 11 and 12. So it was very young ages and, you know, them seeing the, you know, mom on the weekends was full of love and full of sprightliness and full of, you know, to this mom that's very ill right now. Um, And so that took a lot of, I would have to find a safe space by myself to try and feel things out. Um, And then at that time we were trying to relocate to an acreage to um, start our homesteading piece. Uh, I knew that I needed nature and it was so hard during COVID because everybody was in lockdown. You couldn't go anywhere. Mm. And so we're just, we honestly were praying, praying like, please land an acreage in our, in our laps that we can, you know, get, get her into nature on a constant basis every single day. And honestly, we gave up on the idea because Mm. that was at the time where people were buying up houses within the time they got it on the market. It was 12 hour sales. Mm. And it was um, a November day that we actually, um, we found this acreage and, you know, I remember driving there and saying, I'm not going to like it. I'm going to hate it because I know we're not going to get it. I just know, like I'm not even, and I will tell you, Paula, we got there and I was like, I love it. I love it. (laughs) Um, like I love it so much. I need to hate it because if we don't get this, I'm going to like die inside. Mm -hmm. Um, but it had everything, everything that we wanted. And so we put in the offer and we ended up getting it that night. (gasps) And I know, right. Talk about a divine moment. And the best part of the divine moment is my husband did the walkthrough of the inspection and he called me. He's like, you are not going to believe what is on this acreage? I said, well, I, I don't know. Cause it's, it's the dead of winter. So you really can't tell me what's on it. He said, there's bees. I said, <gasps> what? Are you kidding me? There's bees? Like, cause he knew, he knew that the bees played a piece. We just didn't know what piece the bees played. And so, yeah, the bees came with the acreage and oh. I was like, you have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. And that's where it starts. So were they wild or were they in an abandoned hive or did the previous they, owner have them? So the, the previous owner, he wanted to do a couple um, hives on the homestead and he was moving to Texas and he's like, I'm not traveling with these bees. I'm not taking them with me. It's a dead of winter. I don't even know if they're alive. Um, so if you want it, take it. If you don't, you know, they're, they're, they're here for the taking if you want them. 
Wow. And I was like, of course I want them. <laughs> that is amazing. And where, yes. where in America are you? Where is this homestead? So we are in Iowa. We're right in the middle of the Midwest. Um, so we have very extreme heats, very extreme colds. We do have four seasons. They've been pretty wonky since 2020. So, you know, when I started my beekeeping adventure, they've been crazy. Um, but they provide so much flora and so many different availabilities of different nectars that Iowa actually, I feel like it's a flora footprint. It, it is very similar to Italian honey, shockingly. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> mm -hmm. right. So what varieties do you get then? What's growing in your area? Yes. So we have our, actually we do um, six different unifloral honeys um, every year. We do a black locust, a dandelion, a sunflower. We have buckwheat, goldenrod, aster. Um, oh goodness. I think that's it. I have to that's think about amazing. it. It's amazing the different honey flows that come in and the different tastes and what I take it to the market um, because I started educating people very early on of our different honeys. And so they'll refer to the black locust honey, the acacia as, do you have any of the apple pear honey? And I'm oh. like, look at you, you little honey sommeliers. Like you're tasting the notes that I'm describing. So every spring they know. We're going to see oh. that very, you know, translucent, clear honey that's going to remind us of, of apples and pears. Oh, that is amazing. It is. So there you are. You've moved to Iowa, um, to your homestead in the middle of winter, or I imagine it yes. took a little while before you could actually move. So you'd manage to hang on from February right through to November, you know, and yeah. the thought of knowing that you needed nature, but you couldn't get nature and thinking, how will this change? That cannot yes. have helped at all. You know, that must have been a killer yeah. with a one year old. It's yeah. in lockdown. It was, it, it was honestly, you know, it's funny seeing it's, it's not, but it is funny seeing people talk about how 2020 you could literally just throw it in the trash. And I would so agree with that. But at the same time, I needed 2020 to realize the darkness that was within and to experience the beginning to the healing mm -hmm. so that I really understood what this felt like. And then I can better help other veterans that are going through the same thing that may not be at that, that place where they want to talk about it. Um, to know, like, I know so much what you're feeling and what you're thinking and what's going through your mind right now. And what can I do to help? These are the things that I did. These are the things that I felt, you know, can we relate? And, and it becomes this camaraderie um, experience. And are you quite unique as a woman with PTSD? I think I am to the makeup of women in security forces is a very small percentage. Um, in my career in security forces, I did um, excel to a very high level. Um, I ended my career as a master sergeant and I ended up being over, you know, standard evaluations, training. Uh, I knew use of force in and out. We would go to firing ranges every six months. Um, but I had to teach the art of war and ensure that all of the people 
that I was training and sending overseas would come home. And so that was a lot of pressure. <clears throat> I told, I said I wasn't going to cry on this, Paula, but we're gonna we're gonna keep it in check. But well, it I just, think you'll have me crying too. <laughs> I, you know, it's one of those things where you don't ever want to tell mom that her that her kid's not coming home. Mm, and you know, I uh, that's probably that that was a lot of pressure. Um. Because everyone, you want everyone to come home. And everyone did. And, and I'm so thankful for that. But it was very serious. I was in, I served during times of very serious war. And um, I took that to my heart um, 100%. And that's why, you know, my identity lived in being that person. And when I took those boots off, I didn't know who I was anymore. Mm. Yeah. And that's where, you know, you have this identity for so long and then saying, I'm no longer this person, you know, and that's where, that's where you have a lot of issues with the, you know, the healing and how do I make it outside of this industrialized um, walls of the military um, healthy? Who am I? What do I do? You know? And that's yeah. where my kids looked at me and they're like, we don't, they didn't know who I was. They saw the shiny boots. They saw mom, you know, walking through and not necessarily demanding respect, but having that authority piece, you know, yeah. and going to mom's work and seeing, you know, all these people, you know, coming to attention to their mom because, you know, it was very serious what we did. And yeah. so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks for making oh. me cry, Paula. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> we have to see, you know, have people have to message in and see just how many boxes of tissues have worked through in this episode. I mean, I find, you know, with my son, he joined at 18, and I had quite a few people say, How can you let your son join the military? You know, what are you doing? And we did try and delay it. I mean, he would have gone in at 12 if he could, you know, it was something right. we always needed to do. Um, and we yeah. did manage to hold off till he was 18. He did his A-levels. And then I got to this point where I thought, gosh, we could force him, you know, to go off to university. But he could be hit by a bus and he would yeah. then die unhappy, not having done what he wanted to do. And I knew that he knew what he was getting in, into. Mm -hmm. And once he passed out and... Um, for those who don't know about military, it means you complete your training, not, you know, not yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, when he completed the training and then he's, he started to be sort of sent off places. What I found comforted me was we were able to have the conversations of what if you don't come home? Yeah. And so as a mother, I feel blessed that I've had those conversations with my son. So whether it is in an act of war or whether it's in a road traffic accident or a bolt of lightning, I'm ready. And every time I see him, it's a blessing. And it's like, yeah. okay, if this could be the last time, so let's not leave anything unsaid. So yeah. I feel that as such, such a gift, such a blessing. And I'm sure it helps him to go off and do what he needs to do because he's not worrying about his mum, you know, mm -hmm. it's, and so I think, did you find each time you left your kids, you know, when you would go off you, because they, 
they didn't treat you generously as a mother, did they? They didn't go, oh, you know, you're a mum, let's keep you in the office down the road so that you can nip home for lunch break. They were like, oh, you're a mum, but this is the military. How far can we send you as quick as possible? So do you want to share a bit yeah. about that? I mean, how was that with your children and, and your heart? Uh, it it was difficult because we we had children very later in, in life. Um, and so I waited, um, gosh, I was about 10 years in already when we, when we started having kiddos. And I tell you, um, my kids, they have some residual from that. So now when I leave for like honey trips, um, we go through a process because they remember mom leaving for the military. And they remember like, I know it. They remember not being able to talk to mom every day. And so now we've changed it to where every time I'm gone, I FaceTime them every night um, so that we're in constant contact and, and I get them, you know, really set up for success. Like when I would leave for the military, I would have like um, excursions for them that would have to do with where I was. And so now like we do this, they do this Italian workbook at home while I'm in Italy for honey stuff. Um, so it really, it really, it caused some damage, but now we're still working through it. And it's way better when mom comes home with a suitcase of groceries from Italy than when I came home from other places. <laughs> Oh, it yeah. goes straight for the suitcase now because I know there's going to be goods in there that are healthy for them. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So now the bees. So there you are. You've gone. You've got this amazing homestead. The bees have been gifted to you. So, you know, nice. they're there to help you heal. And yes. everything in your body is going, I know this is the journey I need. Mm -hmm. So what was the next step? I mean, had you been <sighs> studying beekeeping or do you, you know, did you know any other beekeepers? It was, it was trial by fire. I'll be honest with you. Um, cause I knew I wanted to do bees, but you know, it's funny how our, our, our different, our souls are different and how we learn things. And, um, I will say like, God knows that if I'm going to do something, well, he's going to put me in the fire and, and see how I do. Um, so it was literally, we had signed up for its, uh, program called Heroes to Hives through Michigan State University. So they will help veterans learn their apprenticeship of beekeeping. Oh, uh, but good. again, it was COVID. So it was all online and I like to get my hands dirty. I like to get my hands and stuff. And so I had this hive and they're live. They made it through winter. It's like, Ooh, yay. I don't know what to do. Um, because so they're they angry and strong. <laughs> They swarmed. And so I called my friend who is a beekeeper. He's an army ranger, uh, former army ranger. I said, Jeff, they swarmed. I need them put it back in the box. He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so that's really like how we got started. And uh, we literally went from one hive. And of course, at that point, I was just immersed. I mean, just everything was about beekeeping and research and study and I was, we ended up going from one hive to, we now operate 65 hives. Um, yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Um, you know, we, we went through some squeakiness along the way, but we really found, uh, we, we like the natural beekeeping methods. Um, 
we built like this beautiful permaculture oasis so that something's potentially in bloom if if the seasons are correct um, from February to November. Wow. And we really, we, we, we get experience because really the bees choose you, right? Mm. And we get experience this blessing every single day that, that we have these hives. Oh, this is so amazing. I know. <laughs> I, oh my goodness. I, um. So you does know, your husband work with the bees as well? He does, but he didn't choose it. <laughs> you know, he saw me out there and he he's such a supportive person of, of me and, and what, you know, I'm trying to do. And, um, you know, he gets to see firsthand to what, you know, these veterans experience. And so, you know, he'll see me out there struggling, trying to get some of these heavy honey supers off and, and doing that. And then, you know, he'll, grudgingly, I'm here to save the day. I'm like, of course you are. And, you know, but we, we end up doing these things together. I'm like, you're really a beekeeper. You know that, right? Just don't deny it. You're in denial phase. It's fine. We're yeah. going to move on. But, you know, it's when we first started, he would react so badly. Like he would get stung and he would balloon up. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. You know, and I'm getting stung. I'm like, yeah, the bees are helping me. They're healing me. <laughs> and thankfully now when he gets stung, um, you know, he doesn't have that reaction, but they really, those girls sting him a lot. I'm mm. like, it's the man smell. I don't know. I don't know. They don't like your smell. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so, I mean, do you think the bees can tell when somebody is suffering I mean, I, I believe they can, but I'm just thinking about your husband that he's come, he's left the military now, has he? Mm -hmm. So yeah. he's left there and he hasn't had the same um, sort of PTSD effects that you've had, but maybe mm -hmm. on some level, his body still needs resetting and the bees are going, right, mm -hmm. okay, we just need to keep plugging away because you're not going to talk about it. Huh? <laughs> you're not yeah. going to feel I the emotions because you're a big, tough man. So what we'll do is right. we'll let you feel the emotions in big, whopping, itchy stings. <laughs> I do. I do. I <laughs> and then I have to laugh about it because I'm like, well, just talk about it. But, you know, I think, you know, it's interesting so while I was in the military, I, I suffered a massive blood clot um, from my knee to groin on my left leg. Oh. And so, oh, it was, it was terrible. Um, but it's interesting. So whenever I'm working hives and I have, you know, a more feisty hive than, than some others, if they sting me, they sting me in my blood clot location mm. every time, every time. And I'm like, you can't. You can't deny what's happening. No. Um, and they know. They know that's my weakest area. They know that my blood flow does not work correctly in there. I have a stent in there, but it still doesn't work properly. And so they know, you know, and I will go through the whole season usually with that left leg swollen a little bit because I've been stung so much by the bees in that specific spot. Wow. And so, you know, and I, I joke with my husband, you know, because... He always gets hit in the chest. I'm like, you will never have to worry about breast cancer ever in your life because they love, they love singing you there or you have to work. You have some heart work you need to work on, you know, but. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's just brilliant. I don't know if you heard it, but I interviewed um, Dr. Stefan from Ro um, Romania. 
who is yes. an apitherapy expert. And I'd always felt that the bees knew your meridians and they would sting you on the meridians that you needed healing. But he yes. told me that they can see your electrical field. And because every cell is vibrating at a certain frequency, um, so it's like this big orchestra of us, you know, we're singing. And if you've got a duff cell, it's a duff note. And that will affect the electrical field. And the bees can see this gap and they go boom in there. Huh? And it's like, wow, wow. Yes, yes. I So I did I listen to that episode and I was in my truck driving to actually one of my bee yards. And I was like, I was talking to myself in the truck. I was like, I knew because you just you it's it's you can't even put it into words the medical piece that these bees can do for you mm. and you know it just amazes me so I'm trying to get into that Romania class this year to be happy therapy certified because oh. I think there's just so much to it as far as you know well, we know as beekeepers, um, the the, therap the aromas that come from those beehives and the sounds and the vibrations and the fair like it is just a healing hive that we really want to, you know, incorporate with, with people that don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. So share with me yeah. some of the effects that's happened with people with PTSD, you know, yourself and with other yes. veterans, you know, what, what are you seeing happen? So I started noticing when I first started this journey of healing in that, um, so I don't know if you've heard of ASMR. It's, um, of course, I'm not going to be able to hold on, Paula. It is, it's really when you get these tingles in your brain. So, and I knew that I had the, um, ASMR, so it's autonomous sensory meridian response. Mm. And what it is, you know, have you ever sat in like a typing class and all of the keynotes that people are pushing you all of a sudden get like these brain tingles I would get this every time like I could remember in high school and so I knew that ASMR was part of my makeup of who I am and so with ASMR first off they see with people that have PTSD this is a great therapy they can use because it gives the brain a break it gives mm -hmm. the brain a break of the cortisol. It gives the brain a break of these rage events or when they're really feeling intense um, because it's almost like a brain relaxing technique. When I start my mornings, I always start my mornings um, spiritually before the sun rises with my beeswax candles, but then I move on to my bee yard. I have the luxury of having a bee yard, you know, right behind me. Um, but I literally sit up with my coffee or tea and I watch their flight patterns and that synchronization of their flight patterns going back and forth. It relaxes my brain so much. I could sit there probably for seven hours. Mm -hmm. However, having this many kids, it doesn't work. So I could only take an hour, but it, it calms me so much and it starts my day every day. Probably why we have so much hard times in winter, but from the bee season, it's amazing. And then we moved into just the aromas of the hives. So as soon as I'm walking through the bee yard, I mean, you can already smell kind of what honey they're producing, the aromas coming from the hive before you even pop it open. And then when you pop it open, it's just this overcoming aroma that I can't even almost put into words the feeling that it, it, it ignites in me. Um, but it's just this this being of one with the bees and, and 
really feeling what is happening within this hive. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the sounds. Oh my goodness. As long as it's not the high pitched sound, because you're like, I have to walk away now. But yeah. that humming and that vibration of the sounds, um, it, it's it's completely peaceful, which, you know, it's funny talking to people because they're like, you're talking about playing with bees, right? And you being yeah. at complete peace. I'm like, I, I do. I feel complete peace when I'm doing this. Um, and then I'm going to hit on just briefly the, the honey sensory. So we did our first ever hero honey tasting this year on Veterans Day. We had veterans come in and we did a honey tasting just for them. What it does when you focus and do this honey century, which you, you very much know, (laughs) you are so hyper-focused on that honey and what it smells and tastes like that it actually gives your brain a break, uh, when you're having these PTSD moments and these anxiety Mm -hmm. moments. So it actually almost like takes you away, gets you healed a little bit, and then you step back into where you're at. So it's like this whole machine of healing that people just really aren't talking about. Um, but it's so new that, you know, I think it's, it's, it's not conventional. No. And I think in a way, because it's, everybody's looking for a magic pill, aren't they? You know, whatever you have, you just want to, you don't want to feel that pain. You don't want to feel and go through it because it's difficult. It's painful. It's tough. So we're always looking for distraction or the easy way out. And yet the way you talk about the bees, this is an easy way out. I mean, okay, it hurts if you get stung, but it is so distracting. And so to have, you know, to have something that is so distracting, but also so beneficial, so healing. And I mean, I I grieve through the winter when I cannot smell the hives, you know, so having a an observation hive, you know, when I was at the new, it was just amazing. I could go in every day and just, you know, breathe in through the vents and like, oh, okay, I can I can cope there. But it is such an addictive smell. And when mm-hmm. you can no longer smell it, it's like, oh, how am I gonna cope? You know, I right. need that aroma because it does, it does calm you. So do you mm-hmm. always carry around a little pot of honey now? So if you're <sighs> out and about and you can just feel the sort of buzzing brain and you think hang on a minute I've just got to stop and taste some honey and <laughs> so I actually have a honey super that I keep in the house and I do I keep the, I keep the top on it and I do I sniff it every day um and it's you know I told my husband because we're moving stuff you know to our storage space I said that one stays he's like what is like just just leave that one that one stays with me and we get us through winter. And I do, and I think that's also one of the reasons why I do the beeswax candles every day, because even that, you know, smell mm. of the beeswax puts us back there. Um, and I, I do, I eat honey every day, just have to keep up those sensory exercises. And um, I think there's just something about it. You know, I will even, so a lot of people in winter, you know, they do the thermal cameras, they do all of these different things to ensure their hives are alive. So I actually go out and I put my ear to the side of the hive to hear their humming uh, because that's another way for me to help in in my healing process. And so it's just, it's so, it's such an organic way of healing that Mm. I think needs to be looked at more. And thankfully there's research that they're starting. Um, So Michigan State University is actually starting research this year of, it's um, 
PTSD and pollinators and how are pollinators helping people, you know, get through it and, and manage their effects. And I love, because they've already put 2000 veterans through this apprenticeship course. Wow. So they know there's a need, they know there's a need and that a lot of these veterans are going and there's one VA facility, I believe in Georgia, that is actually authorizing and signing off that yes, beekeeping is a therapy for PTSD. Wow. So giving people that are coming out of the military with PTSD saying, this is also an option for you, an organic, you know, um, homopedic option. So it's exciting yeah. that we're paving the way. Yeah, this is so exciting. I mean, yeah. I wonder if they would ever go so far as to put hives on military bases mm-hmm. so that you have, you know, a group of beekeepers so that when those are away, the ones behind can take yes. care of the bees. And then you won't be getting people to the crisis state that they need PTSD, mm-hmm. you know, right. on your down days on the base. You know, maybe it yes. should be prescribed that you are at work and on a base, but part of that at work is being with the bees. Yes. Yes. To, to be able to just walk through, because, you know, I'm sure I have, hmm, I'm thinking, I haven't been to any bases in the UK, um, but I'm sure they're probably similar in that it's a lot of concrete, um, a lot of industrialized looking buildings. Yeah. And, you know, I think... Yes. Oh, lawns, just little green patches. And maybe yes. a rose that the commander's <laughs> wife had planted, you know. <laughs> like I can already smell the smells of the barracks. But um, it's, oh. it's very, if you offered a green space with bees for them to just experience nature, I think that in itself, because I think a lot of it is working through those cortisol and stress pieces and being cognizant that they are there and to not wait till the end of their military experience to really, you know, because then you have this rage manifestation that, you know, not everyone can deal with mm-hmm. and incorporating that into a space. And even, you know, I was thinking too, because we really want to have some type of happy therapy help for PTSD people, not just military, but P- anybody suffering PTSD. Um, you know, but we have that piece where you have to really look at, um, if somebody has a great fear of bees, how do we get them into these spaces without having, you know, fear of being stung? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've seen, and I don't know, Paul, if you've seen them in real time, cause I have not the, the beds that people can lay on where the bees are enclosed yeah. and you can smell the pheromones without, you know, the fear you know, igniting of being stung by all these bees. I mean, I think that in itself needs to get looked at as well. It does. And I think that realization that it's not just honeybees and you can stand Mm -hmm. in a garden where it's full of flowers and you'll see loads of different bees and not one of them is interested in stinging you. You know, they're just busy doing what they need to do. And that just sitting or standing and watching bees getting on with what they want to do that's bound to calm the brain down and and detach you from from trauma so it's we need more time to be standing and staring and yeah just we do yes there's there's so much um busyness of what Mm -hmm. we do in our everyday lives to just really sit 
and observe and again be in that organic environment of healing that you don't even really realize you're healing. Mm. I think that in itself can go leaps and bounds. Mm. Now something's come into my head, which I don't know if you can answer. Um, but knowing what you know now and with all your experiences, if you could be in charge of the military, what would you do to help people and maybe women or maybe men, maybe both, to actually cope with that experience better and the leaving of it? Is there anything that you yeah. think? I mean, obviously bees, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes. And I think a lot of what we talked about as far as having that availability of those places on the bases that they're at, um, I think, you know, the military is really trying to make it open communication um, now, but it's, it's not, mm. um, you know, it, towards the end of my career, you know, they would tell you, yeah, you can talk about it. You can, but then if you talked about it, you would be put on a do not arm list. You could no longer do your job. Mm. And so people had the fear of that. They have families to take care of. They have, you know, expectations that, um, are handed down to them. And so they're in this environment where, yes, you can talk about it, but you're going to be negatively affected if you talk about it. Mm. And your whole so you identity people, is your role, isn't it? So if you've worked hard yes. to get to a certain role and then suddenly you don't have that, mm -hmm. you know, like driving oh. duties, isn't it? Instead of it is, you know. it, it really is. I remember my first anxiety attack, um, my son, Wyatt, um, he was a preemie baby and he had all kinds of lung issues. Um, and so we had to have him hospitalized. And I remember having to report back to duty um, two days after he was hospitalized. They're like, he's in the hospital. He's fine. I'm like, okay. So I come back to duty, obviously not the person that I, I should be at that point in time. I get a phone call from the hospital saying, you need to come here because we don't think he's going to pull through this. Oh my God. And I thought to myself, oh my gosh. Um, so I literally just left my son in a hospital to come back here for this. And I just remember having so much anger and rage and vulnerability. Thankfully, he did. He did pull through. Um, but it was very much an eye opening experience of what is expected. And you're not allowed to have feelings. And I think we have to recognize that even if we're in the military doing a duty and we're really good at it, because mm -hmm. I can tell you there are a lot of good times that I had, a lot of great times that I had, and I have amazing friendships with a lot of people, but it, it was an environment that almost was unsafe at times if you had a family, if mm -hmm. you went against the grain in some things. And, and I think it needs to be, you know, understand, yes, military is my priority. However, there are situations that dictate when I need to step away and take care of this situation, because I need to be the whole person I need to be in order to do that military duty. Yeah, yeah. And I think with modern warfare, where we should be negotiating, you know, with enemies, mm -hmm. You, you've got to still be able to be in touch with your feelings. You know, you can't yeah. walk into a family situation and be like a machine. I mean, I can understand right. that it might be beneficial for some people if you could, but that's inhumane. Right. 
And do we really it want inhumane military? You know, it's no. it's a really fine balance, isn't it? And perhaps that's where bringing women into it. Um, mm. I mean, I have had interesting discussions with my son about women in the military. And I, you know, I have said, well, look, women in the military are not going to be like me. You don't need to worry. They're not going to be like <laughs> crying and, you know, like, no, we can't do this. So, you know, it, it's going to attract a certain type of woman. But mm -hmm. yeah, it's it's a really interesting dilemma. And, and as we move forward as humans, yeah. and maybe as we're inspired by bees, we have to look at how can conflict revolution um, resolution be a bit more holistic and a bit more humane yeah I know tough really. I, it is tough you know I remember not realizing how much of a machine I was I remember the first time crying in front of my kids was in 2020 I know and I think back to that and now you know I'm I'm not an emotional blubber machine but you know I I, I have real emotion and yeah. I think it's great for the kids to see this is where mom was. Mm. This is where mom is now. And they get to, they beekeep with me. They homestead with me. They're out in the dirt with me. They walk the bees more than I walk the bees. And so just bringing up this new generation of people that saying it is, you should feel, you should mm. feel what's going on. Don't, don't push it down because this is what happens when that happens. And so, and just being in real time, I can tell you, you know, they just were talking about at the park, there's a kid freaking out with, with a bee because they're not experienced around it. And then my son going over and saying, it's okay. That bee's just looking for something to eat. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, <laughs> this is where we should be. Oh yeah. Oh, do you know, I've just loved this. I, I am feeling so many emotions and they've taken me on a, a journey and I can't wait to share this episode because I just know it's going to be so helpful for so many people. So if somebody's listening to this, whether they're military or not, and they are thinking, hang on, I have anxiety. I don't know who I am. Um, I, I've, I'm not feeling emotions what would you recommend to be the first step? Uh, my first step would be nature. Mm. It really would. Um, obviously, first as well, finding a support. Um, because having someone was to support you, I, I was lucky enough to have my husband as my supportive piece. Um, but knowing that nature is what I needed to be in. So even if you don't have that space available in your flat or wherever you live, there are places where you can go to experience that nature peace and just, just sit and admire and organically take it in. Mm. And when you just sit with yourself, this is where a lot of the, the emotion starts, but the healing starts as well with that emotion starts the healing. Mm. Um, yeah. And it just, it's raw. It's uncomfortable. But knowing that you're going to work through it and there's going to be a light out of the darkness, it, it, it just, it bees, of course, but not everybody, not everybody wants to jump into bees right away. So start with nature, start with nature and then work your way into bees because you'll see them. You'll see them. 
yeah or they'll come to you they'll yes. they will find you you know <laughs> if they're there to heal you they're going to find you they will so yeah. sort of nearly four years on where you didn't know who you were mm -hmm. who do you think you are now who, who oh. do you say you are who what do you feel you are Paula, it's, it's, I think I have so many um, B wings of who I am. It's, it's insanity. So I, first off, I'm a hippie beekeeper and I, I say hippie because we do things so, so rogue and differently. Um, I, I don't want to call myself a botanist, but I have so many dried florals and jars that I smell. It's, it's almost like right brain went to left brain. Um, I, we are, a, I'm a forager. Do you know that I forage wild mushrooms? Like what? Who does that? Wow. It's amazing. Some of them smell like white wine and they taste even better. Um, wow. I have now taken my path to get my doctorate in gastronomy. Um, because I just, there's so much culture behind bees and honey and food. And um, I would consider myself a pretty uh, esteemed foodie because you have to, I just, I take every moment of life as a blessing and enjoy it and want to share it. Um, mm -hmm. We're really, really focusing on this PTSD pollinator garden that we want to have done within the next three years. We really want a space where people can come for healing through that nature aspect. Oh, so there's, cool. there's a, palette on the table and we're just eating it up oh it's amazing you really have created your little heaven your healing heaven and yes. oh oh i i want to visit i'm sorry i'm going to invite myself <laughs> you are <laughs> it can't be this year but maybe next year i've really got to come and see this place because it just yes. sounds lovely. oh oh well, I look forward to seeing you again in person. I have just loved this. And thank you so much for sharing with such honesty and and emotion, you know, really sharing the emotions you've gone through and talking about things that just aren't talked about enough. So yeah. I, I just I'm so grateful. And thank you so much for this. So I thank hope you all. Thank you. So anyone who's listening to this, I'm sure there's someone you can share it with who would also benefit. And um, let's allow the bees to carry on healing us all. And let's all be creating a buzz about health. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Beebrook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on heart. Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.